Representation matters. VUSs are more prominent in African-American populations and other minority groups just because they are less studied. Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. And she was asking us, my supervisor and I, have you guys seen this variant in other people, and I quote, who look like us? And so that was the first time that I that race for me had explicitly been brought up in a clinic session. Today I'm interviewing Brianna Rivers. Brianna is a second year genetic counseling student in the University of Cincinnati genetic counseling program. As an African-American female in a field that is over 90% Caucasian, Brianna has a passion for increasing diversity within the profession of genetic counseling. Increasing diversity has been a stated goal of the genetic counseling profession for some time now. At the recent National Society of Genetic Counselors annual conference, the need to increase diversity within the profession, as well as the experiences of genetic counselors who are underrepresented within the genetic counseling profession, was a major topic of discussion. Brianna published a blog post following this conference on this same issue. I was really happy that Brianna was up for coming on the podcast for an interview. So Brianna, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for inviting me to speak to you. So uh, the annual NSGC, National Society of Genetic Counselors Conference, happens every year in the fall, and you attended the recent conference. I wasn't able to attend. What, in, what at that conference inspired you to write your blog post? So actually, I'd written the blog post prior to attending the conference, and I wasn't aware of the focus of diversity that was going to be at the conference. As a second year genetic counseling student, this was my first time going to the conference and I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I knew there were going to be a lot of talks, um, but I was just open to whatever was going to happen there at the conference. And so, um, you know, after having this topic on my mind and then going to the conference and everybody was talking about diversity, there were several great speakers that were talking about their experience as genetic counselors from an underrepresented minority group or their experience with patients, um, as well as the opportunity to go to the minority genetics professionals meetup um, that was at a local bar um, surrounding the, the conference center. And so I thought that was just an amazing opportunity, especially having just had these conversations with my program director. Were you surprised that diversity was such a focus at the conference? Yes, I was very surprised. You know, as I mentioned before, I just I didn't know what to expect and I ended up loving it because I I was very pleased with the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um so backing up a little bit, what got you first interested in the field of genetic counseling? Like the the field is predominantly um young white females not all Mm -hmm. young but it kind of like predominantly young white females and one of the goals of the profession has been to increase the diversity which um you know have it i don't think we've gotten very far with that yet but just the fact that you're an african-american female enrolled in a genetic counseling program says a little bit of something so how did you initially find out about the field and what made you want to go into genetic counseling yeah so when i was in my 
um, undergraduate, doing my undergraduate degree, I studied cell biology and molecular genetics, and I realized that I really enjoyed the genetics aspect of my major, and I wanted to figure out what I could do with a degree in genetics. Um, so a lot of it at that time was a lot of Googling on my own because nobody at my university talked about genetic counseling. Well, not until my senior year in my, uh, at the second semester of my genetics class. And by that time, you know, if people were interested in genetic counseling, those who already knew about the profession were already applying or interviewing for um, positions there uh, in, in, in a graduate program. And so um, I decided that I was just going to work for a couple of years prior to starting grad school if that's something that I was really interested in doing. And I landed a role or landed a position as a genetic counseling assistant um, at Johns Hopkins. And so that really inspired me to become, to continue to pursue this field of genetic counseling. Cool, and that's that's a like a, a position that I, I hear about a lot that didn't exist when I was going into school. <laughs> um, talk about what, what you did as a genetic counseling assistant and how that was good prep for you. Yeah, so I got a lot of patient contact, although it wasn't face-to-face, it was over the phone. So I was the first point of contact for patients when they were looking to schedule their appointments. Um, and so I was scheduling them with the cardiologist, scheduling with the genetic counselor, making sure to request any records that we needed for them and helping them to coordinate any other appointments that they needed. But you'd be surprised that, you know, even in the process of scheduling appointments, how, how much patients really open up to you. Um, and so I thought, you know, if I, if I were getting that kind of patient experience just when scheduling their appointments and being able to be there for them psychosocially, you know, in, just in that position, imagine what I could do for patients as a genetic counselor. And so I really wanted to pursue this profession. Hopkins has a lot of genetic counselors, but I'm not sure what, how diverse their group of genetic counselors mm-hmm. is. Is it mostly or all um, white women or do they have males or people of different backgrounds? Mm-hmm. It is mostly white women. They do have some counselors who are of uh, different ethnic backgrounds, but it's, it is still currently mostly white women. And what about the patients you saw there? Mostly white patients, African-American, or a big mix? It is in Baltimore, so maybe you get a more diverse population there? Yeah, well, so the specific program that I was in was very specialized within cardiology. So um, it probably would be a little bit skewed as if, in, you know, compared to general genetics. Um, but I would say it was mostly white patients. There were some, some um, black families um, but I, I'd say it was generally mostly white. Yeah. So what uh, it kind of in conversations you had about uh, diversity with your classmates and then the focus at NSGC, like why do you see it as important to increase the diversity within the profession? Yeah, um, I think it's very important because especially since the disproportionate representation of minorities in this profession I don't understand why that is. I mean, I understand that the that the field of genetic counseling isn't very well known yet. I mean, of course, we know you know know it very well, but then the general public still um, isn't quite aware of genetic counseling. So you could say, well, maybe you know because there are um, because white people are more predominant in the general population, and this profession isn't very well known. Maybe that's the reason for the disconnect. But I think it's a little bit more than that, and I. Th- I think being able to increase the diversity ultimately helps our patients and it also helps, you know, other minorities in the profession, you know, being able to have 
um, mentors and colleagues and people who look like them and people who maybe have similar or shared experiences as them to be able to relate to and talk to. And as a minority, it's not like you can't relate to uh, pe people who are not minorities, but there's just a special connection that um, that sometimes is unspoken. And I think I've seen that and I was very surprised to see that in some of my patients, um, some who have explicitly stated so and, and others who have not. For you in your life as a patient prior to going into genetic counseling, um, I, I would have most of your healthcare providers been white or have you had a lot of healthcare providers of different ethnic backgrounds and how do you feel that that has played in just to your own healthcare? Mm -hmm. Most of my providers have been white previously. Um, you know, as I got older and I started scheduling my own appointments, um, I would say that I would actively seek out um, not only providers that were female, but I would also seek out minority providers. I don't, I mean, sometimes if you're looking to schedule an appointment quickly enough or, you know, in a certain time frame, you might just take who is the next available, but it is, it has been a thought or something that crossed my mind when looking for providers. And why, why have you had that preference or how is you, how have you felt that that has made a difference? I know like one, um, previous podcast interviewed a African-American woman who was diagnosed with breast cancer at a young age. And she made the comment, she was just like, as a young African-American woman, even as a woman, but more so African-American women, she just feels like, she, like often are not taken seriously in the medical profession. Yes. Um, that is something that has definitely impacted my, you know, decisions in choosing healthcare providers, because I, I do understand that that is true, that African-American women aren't taking us seriously in the medical, um, like in medicine as patients, and they often aren't listened to, aren't heard. And I don't feel like I have personally experienced that in my healthcare, thank goodness. Um, but it's always in the back of my mind, like, well, what if this next provider doesn't take me seriously? And so, I don't know, just making, just almost just an extra step towards making sure that I am heard as someone who is a minority who may have a similar experience as me is maybe more willing to listen to me. And I know I just I don't want this to come across as like I'm, you know, bashing white providers um, because that is not how I feel. I do not have any issues with white providers, but I don't know. It's just something that in the back of my mind that I kind of hold on to. I'm like, OK, well, maybe I'll just, you know, look for someone who is a minority and maybe I can have more of a conversation with that person. Yeah. I mean, with a, I mean, booking with uh, any provider, you don't know what you're going to get. Exactly. But I feel like. As a, as a non-white person booking with a white person, like you don't know if you might get someone who's racist or who yes. um, ma makes more assumptions or just because of a different life experience has less understanding or like less perspective yes. on where you're coming from. So in your blog post, you actually talk about one of your clinical rotations where the ethnicity of the genetic counselors and the patients did seem to impact how the genetic counseling went and which kind of what questions were asked and what the conversation was like. Um, so just to back up first, because not everyone who listens to this podcast, of course, is a genetic counselor. What what are these clinical rotations as a second year student? Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so during the, the regular school year, during the semesters, each of our rotations are um, five weeks each and a few times a week we will rotate with a um, genetic counselor of a different specialty and go in and take on some roles in clinic. Um, ultimately, the goal is by the time we graduate, we are going to be, you know, fully functional genetic counselors being able to do the whole session from beginning to end. 
Um, and so the one that I was specifically addressing in my blog post was a seven week rotation. So it's a little bit longer than normal. Um, and it was over the summer. And so that's the first time we we're full time. Um, we're acting as a full time genetic counselor as opposed to, you know, working our clinic schedule in between our class schedules. Okay. And in this particular case, um, it was a pediatric genetic setting. Right? Correct. And your supervisor was actually African, and the patients were a brother and sister, African-American, both with developmental delays, some hypotonia or muscle weakness, and accompanied by their mother? That is correct. They also came with their grandmother. Okay. Um, so what was, that, what was that encounter like, and how did um, the question of race end up being part of that genetic counseling session? Sure. So this particular mother was having so many issues getting the school to um, be accommodating with her children and to get providers to accurately document um, the issues that her children were going through because her thoughts were if something were to happen to her, she needs to other providers to know exactly what is going on with her children so that someone else can then be able to take on the role of their caretaker. And so she was fighting very hard for them and was already, you know, at very frustrated. Um, with the lack of care that she had been receiving. So we were sitting down with her, having a conversation with her, making sure that we were meeting her needs. And her children had had lots of genetic testing previously, which a lot of it came back either normal or they had variants of uncertain significance. And she was asking us, my supervisor and I, have you guys seen this variant in other people, and I quote, who look like us? And she was uncertain about how to even ask that question because she told us to just ignore it. She's like, ignore this. If it's, if it's an appropriate question, if it's rude or offensive, I just don't know how to ask it. And so we said, go ahead, you know, go ahead and ask us. And she was like, as black women, what, like, have you seen other people who look like us have this condition and have this variant? And so that was the first time that I, that race for me had explicitly been brought up in a clinic session. Um, and I wasn't quite sure how to handle it in that situation. I think my, you know, my supervisor handled it beautifully and she addressed the mother's concerns and she explained that, no, we haven't seen this um, in other African-American individuals and we haven't seen it actually in general, but um, she also explained that VUSs are more prominent in African-American populations and other minority groups just because they are less studied right now in research. And typically the focus is mainly on people of European descent. And even in a clinic setting, probably less likely to be receiving appropriate care where they're getting those appropriate mm -hmm. referrals and would have the opportunity for the testing to be done. Exactly. Um, that's it was interesting to me in reading your blog post that she, you know, was hesitant to bring that up, um, even though, you know, both you and your supervisor were also black, that she was still worried that it might be an offensive question. Yeah. And it makes 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 me wonder if she would have brought it up at all, you know, if if she'd had a white a white genetic right. counselor there, if she would have felt like that, that would that would be inappropriate in that context. Right. Yeah. And so we, we definitely made sure to let. Um, the geneticists know that this is something that has been on her mind and that um, we just need to make sure to make sure that she's listened to and heard um, and make sure she's provided with the resources that she needs. And was the, is the geneticist a white mm -hmm. man or a white, white male? Yeah. Yes. 
Um, yeah, that's so that's that's so interesting. What are there other are there other clinical rotations you've had not where race was necessarily brought up explicitly because you said this was the first time for you, but where you felt like that was impacting the session? Maybe someone was reacting to you differently because you were African American, or a patient was responding to you better because because you weren't white. Right, um, that's a great question, and like you had mentioned, this is the first time this explicitly happened. Um, and this could go into maybe some counter-transference <laughs> from myself as a mm-hmm. provider, but I've definitely felt in sessions where I felt that there was a better connection with the patient um, when they were African-American, or I actually did see a family. The other, the only other time that it came up was when I saw a family who was um, mixed, um, mixed-race family, and they brought it up just because I'm a fair-skinned African-American female and I I guess they thought that I was mixed or something and so it just came up in that session but in the end they also thanked me um, and said that they felt um, she made a a statement about me making them feel more welcome and comfortable Hmm. and so thought that was interesting but that one wasn't explicitly stated but there are certain things where even if someone doesn't say something you always kind of wonder did it have something to do with this or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's so many factors like, you know, race, but gender, age, Mm -hmm. you know, like different styles, um, like lots of guesswork. I don't know. I haven't seen, there's, there's definitely a lot of white healthcare providers, but there are a lot of non-white healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. Like it really does seem that, you know, it's specifically in genetic counseling that there's that really like such this, um, disproportionate, um, disproportionately white female and that's what that's part of the conversation that i've been having with my classmates and my program directors that what is it about genetic counseling itself that is i mean is it just that it's still relatively new and i mean part of the issue i think is um i guess this doesn't relate to healthcare profession because all of those require um, higher education, but I know that can that higher education itself can be a barrier in certain professions, and I feel like that might be part of the issue, you know, here in some of the in this in genetic counseling and some of the conversations that we've had is that um, oftentimes in in order to apply to genetic counseling school, you have to have a lot of unpaid internships or shadowing experience or um, advocacy experience, which is great. Those are you know great if you have the time and the resources to be able to do those, but oftentimes those opportunities are unpaid. And right. there are a lot of minorities who are in lower socioeconomic status, um, lower income situations, and they can't afford to take off of work in order to shadow a genetic counselor or to you know, get that advocacy experience. And so it's already kind of put um, people of means at a privilege to even enter the profession. Um, and then, you know, there's been outreaches at local high schools and stuff like that. And you can say, well, what is the demographic of the high school? But even if you go to a high school that's predominantly black, maybe that high school is also predominantly lower income individuals. And so you can go talk to them about genetic counseling, but they may not even have the means to go to college, let alone then go on to get a master's degree. And so... I think there's so many different layers to increasing diversity in the profession, and I don't really know where we would need to start except for maybe doing some scholarship opportunities for 
um, for those who are in underrepresented minorities, um, you know, not only not only by race, but also by SES. Um, and just seeing if there's something that we can do to help those who do have an interest in the sciences and hopefully genetic counseling to then go on and pursue those without any barriers. Salaries for genetic counselors have also started to improve a lot mm-hmm. in the past few years, although I think it's probably still low mm-hmm. relative to healthcare providers with a similar education level. And I always wonder how much that factors into just, you know, when if you you're coming from fewer resources to begin with, you know, you're going to have student loans, like the less family money you have to fall back on, the more important it is to make sure that you're going into a profession that'll reimburse well. Like if you're going to be a doctor, feel like, well, it depends, maybe not primary care doctor, but different specialties where you feel like you have a better chance to make that, that income. So um, I don't know. I, I, I hope that like as salaries will improve, that that'll, that'll help with, um, with making the profession more attractive too. I do, um, I'm probably genetic counselors probably are listening who know the history well, and I don't know the history of genetic counseling terribly <laughs> well, but I have, I'm under the impression that, you know, early on in the profession, you know, it started with white women, um, and a lot of white women who, you know, were interested in genetics and wanted to help people, but, you know, were starting from a place of privilege and didn't need to work. And so the salary wasn't so important to mm-hmm. them, um, or wasn't, yeah, wasn't, you know, they were working out of a, I don't know, out of passion or even I know, I know um, you know, some people would work like on a volunteer basis because they were just doing what, what needed to be done. But at the same time, you know, if you're we live in a capitalist society and we don't have universal base, basic income. So <laughs> that then means that you, you can't do that if you have to actually make a living. Yeah. And then I guess one other thought that I had was that if you don't see yourself represented in a profession, for example, if you as a person who may be a person of color who may be interested in genetic counseling look at the profession and don't really see yourself represented you might be discouraged from entering that profession from trying to be the one that has to you being the individual or a group of individuals that has to work to increase the diversity you may want to enter, enter the profession that already has diversity in it um okay. and i remember with my um the supervisor that i used to work with at hopkins i asked her only half jokingly, when I was going into this profession, um, would I be the first ever black genetic counselor? Because to that, I, I had seen other minority groups represented in genetic counseling, not a lot, but just a few. Mm-hmm. But I had never seen a black genetic counselor at that point. And I was like, will I be the first one? And then, you know, I was reading another article about, um, um, it was, I think there's only one other article so far about diversity and genetic counseling. And one of the participants mentioned Googling black genetic counselors. And it's funny, but I was like, I relate to that so much. I'm pretty sure I Googled black genetic counselors at some point just to see if they existed. Um, and then, you know, going to at NSGC, the minority genetics professionals meetup. Um, and to see a room full of people who looks like me or who had or who were also an underrepresented minority in some way. And we filled the room. I was at a like I said, at a local bar. We filled that whole bar space. That was just amazing. It was I was trying not to get emotional about it, but that was just amazing. Yeah. 
And that was, I mean, there's what, like over 4,000 genetic counselors in the U.S. And then like, I don't, I don't know like what the attendance would be like at NSGC, but it's like, it's in, like for, for th- going from thinking like you might be the first black genetic counselor to having like a huge yes. room full of people who are minorities is huge. But then you also think proportionately, it's back to that like a couple percent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, yeah. But even still, just having that, um, I don't know, that camaraderie or. I don't really know how I would explain it, but just even though there's few of us, just knowing that we have this network to be able to reach out to each other and check in on each other. Like, how are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, and in genetic counseling, so I feel like for several years, you know, there's been talk of the need to include racial diversity, but also gender diversity. Mm-hmm. How do you, do you think that those are, I mean, they're obviously two pretty different issues do you think that they're equally important or how do you feel about the importance of gender diversity and how that factors in or could be addressed in similar or different ways um i think it could be addressed in similar ways but i we'd have to i think they would have different reasons for the lack of representation so the lack of representation for minority um like racial and ethnic minorities in genetic counseling is probably different from the lack of men in the profession. Um, and all, except for the salary, the salary might also um, play a, might be a, a shared reason between the two groups as to why we don't have as many men in the profession. If that's, is that what you're asking me? Um, yeah, I mean, in part, like all of, all of those things, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I don't know, I would say that uh, that's also a conversation that we've had because in a lot of the genetic counseling programs, if any, there's, you know, if any men in the in the programs, there's maybe one male. And what is it about the profession that deters men from wanting to enter the field? And then once they do get into the field, there is kind of a, a disparity in the pay level. Like, why are men being so underrepresented in this profession still making more than women? Who are in this profession and i think there are definitely issues <laughs> that need to be addressed but i don't know if i can speak so much for the gender disparities that's a whole other can of worms yes <laughs> that'll be maybe that'll be an interview with a male genetic counselor <laughs> i have one that i could recommend to you if you would like <laughs> oh yeah cool totally how large is your class um your genetic counseling class we actually are a big class there are 12 of us um in each year so there are 12 first years 12 second years that's big that's big that's for big for genetic counseling <laughs> which is funny because we have people who are you know come and visit us when we have our open houses and maybe some families who aren't the students typically know but the families aren't quite aware and we tell them that 12 is big and they're like really 12 <laughs> and we're like yeah when a lot of the programs are between five to eight you know um, students per class like we have 12. <laughs> and within that group are you the only um, African-American or the only minority at all? I'm the only African-American. I'm not the only minority. Um, so okay. in my, um, in the second year class, uh, we have two other ethnic minorities in the class. Okay. Um, and is that, um, very different or similar to your undergrad experience just in being the only African-American? No, actually, well, it's different, very different from my undergrad experience. Um, and maybe it's just because in undergrad, you're not, you're not in a small cohort of people. So you have the whole um, major, and I was in um, 
so I, I mentioned earlier cell biology and genetics, which fell under the big category of the College of Computer, Mathematical, and Natural Sciences. And so CMNS for short, and CMNS was huge and very diverse. Um, and I also went to school in uh, Maryland, which is uh, uh, University of Maryland, which is in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is also a pretty diverse area. So most of the most of the students there were local, but I just think okay. the area was also very diverse. Right. And are, originally, are you from Maryland or from Ohio? I'm from Maryland. Yep. Okay. Okay. I imagine that Ohio is much less diverse than Maryland. Yes, Ohio in general, Cincinnati um, is pretty diverse, but there are a lot of disparities between um, racial groups in Cincinnati, um, although there is a lot of racial diversity there in the city. Okay. Based on your experience in the field so far, um, what do you wish that genetic counselors, meaning like thinking mostly about the 94% of us who are Caucasian females, like what do you wish that genetic counselors understood about the experience of, of a minority who's a genetic counseling student or considering genetic counseling? I think it's very, you know, basic and it's a common phrase, but representation matters. Um, even just when I was, uh, I had talk to this with my um, program director, even when I applied to Cincinnati, one of the things that, you know, really struck a chord with me or hit home with me was I went to the website to check out, you know, the program. And one of the pictures on the website was of a black genetic counselor, uh, one who actually, this is, it was actually my supervisor from my <laughs> summer. <laughs> so she ended up being my supervisor in the summer. But for me, as a black student applying, for genetic counseling program, just going to the website and seeing a black genetic counselor, I was like, oh, maybe I'll apply here. So it's those are small steps for those who do have the opportunity to apply to grad school. Those are just small things that can make a big difference. If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at greatgenetics.com. Great Genetics provides genetic counseling services to individuals throughout the U.S. and the world through a growing network of genetic counselors. Thanks to telehealth, you don't need to take a half day off work or travel to meet with a genetic counselor in person. Your genetic counseling appointment can take place over secure video conferencing or even just the phone in the privacy of your own home. To find a genetic counselor specialized in your area of concern whose schedule matches yours, visit greatgenetics.com. If you are a genetic counselor and interested in being listed on the Gray Genetics Network, visit graygenetics.com to start the registration process. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.